Have you ever struggled with anyone? You probably have. Maybe there was a, a difference of opinion on something, maybe a different view on something, maybe different teams you're rooting for. Or, or maybe it went deeper, maybe it was something about really being hurt. And, and so there was that tension between you. And maybe you're pulling for one thing and they're pulling for something else. And it really kind of rips at you sometimes. It gets deep down in the heart. Well, how about this question? Have you ever struggled with God? Maybe so. Maybe we've struggled sometimes understanding, what are you doing, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why, why aren't you acting in this way and, and correcting this? Or, or why, why aren't you granting what I ask for? Why, are you listening? And sometimes we struggle with God because we too see things differently than what's going on or, or what he's doing and, and what he wants. And that too creates tension in our life and it gets right down into our heart. But sometimes what happens when we have those struggles with people or with God, we may get so frustrated with, with it, we just turn our back and maybe even walk away. Has that ever happened with you? Well, you can see then why these things become a topic for us to talk about, because it's a matter of the heart. And so in our second message and looking at matters of the heart, today we want to look at this matter because the heart itself matters to us and to God. Now I'm talking about struggling, and, and the answer to all that struggling is found in one word. One word there. <laughs> Commitment. Commitment. You might wonder how struggling and commitment go together. Well, people have different ideas of what is meant by commitment. They might express it in different ways, see it acted out in different ways. But let's come to a, a basic understanding first of what we mean by commitment. So let's turn to the dictionary and find out what it means. Com the word commitment comes from a Latin word that means to bring together. We use it to express the idea of a, of a long-term dedication to some kind of pledge or promise that has been made. Now, we talk about commitments that we make, maybe business commitments or relationship commitments, and we see how they are played out. Well, today I want to talk about commitment being played out in, in a particular family from the Bible. Now, when you hear of a family from the Bible, you're probably thinking, oh, okay, so this is like the ideal model family, and it's just picture perfect. It's like a masterpiece. But the family I'm talking about today is far from being a masterpiece. In fact, they're probably all in pieces because they've forgotten about the master. I'm talking about Isaac and Rebecca, and their story is found in the book of Genesis. Isaac being the son of Abraham. Now, what strikes me about this family and how they're not a masterpiece, but just a bunch of pieces, is the fact that they substituted their own scheming for believing. 
And that resulted in a lot of struggles in their life. Struggles among the family members and also their struggle with God. So let me tell you a little bit about their story so you understand what's going on and, and then we'll see if we're the same way. Isaac and Rebekah were blessed by God to have twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the first to be born and then Jacob. Now, in the tradition of the Old Testament, the oldest son, in this case it would be Esau, was to get the blessing of the birthright. That meant that he would get an extra portion of the inheritance. He would kind of be the next head of the family. And especially, the promise of the Savior would be given to him, that through his family line, the Savior would come. Now, tradition would have said that Esau was to get that blessing, but God made it clear before the boys were born that Jacob was to get that blessing. But that didn't quite sit right with Isaac. He wanted the oldest son to get it. And that didn't quite sit right with his wife, Rebekah, who wanted her favorite, Jacob, to get it. And so now the scheming starts to take place. When the boys are older and Esau was out in the field hunting, Jacob stayed at home and he prepared a nice meal, a nice bowl of stew. When his brother came in and he was hungry, he wanted some of that stew. And Jacob said, fine, I'll give you a bowl of stew, but you give me the birthright. Now Esau was so hungry, he let his appetite take over his faith. And so he said, fine, go ahead, have the birthright, just give me that stew. And so he gave up his right to the birthright. But dad didn't know that and would not have approved of it. Now, Isaac is very old at this time, and his eyesight is very bad. So he couldn't really see who the boys were, other than to identify them perhaps by their voice or maybe some physical characteristic. Esau was kind of a hairy guy. So mom decided that Jacob should disguise himself to look like the older brother. Put some fur on the arms, change your voice a little bit, get the smell of the field, and go in and ask your dying father for that birthright. And so he did. When Isaac found out that his son and wife deceived him, he was upset. But even more upset was brother Esau when he found out that that birthright was indeed given to his younger brother. He was so mad, in fact, he swore that he would kill his brother. Nice family, huh? Kind of reminds me, not of a TV show, but it reminds me of these words from Scripture where James says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. And that's what you see happening here. Well, knowing that his brother is upset, mom tells Jacob that he needs to get out of town. And so he ur she urges him to go up to Haran, a place where he's never been before, 500 miles away, and go live with the relatives for a while. Let's see, angry brother relatives. Well, okay, so he decides to go live with the relatives, and on his way, going alone, just with his servant, he rests for a night, and God comes to him 
in a dream. The dream, that famous story of Jacob's ladder or staircase, where he saw angels coming down from heaven and going back up, ministering to him, and the Lord up above, who spoke to him and said, Jacob, I am going to be with you no matter where you go, and I'm going to bless you whatever the circumstances are, and you will return to this land, and it will be yours. Well, that vision encouraged that young man, and he continued on his journey, and he went to meet the relatives up in Haran. Now, during the course of time, he fell in love with one of the daughters of his uncle Laban, whose name was Rachel. Now, Laban was a kind of a business-dealing man, and he said, well, you can marry my daughter after you've served me for seven years. So Jacob served him for seven years, and by the way, the Bible says it was just like one day to him because he was so in love. And when it came time for the wedding, Dad did a little switcheroo. Laban instead handed off his older sister, Leah, to him, not realizing until after the wedding that he was tricked, Laban said, well, that's okay, just work another seven, and you can get Rachel too. So he worked another seven and then married Leah. So now he has two wives against God's will. Altogether, Jacob served there for 20 years, and the Lord blessed him, increased his family, and the number of servants he had, his herds and his flocks. He became a rich man. God's promise came true. He was prospered. But then Jacob got the itch to go back home. He knew, however, his father-in-law would not approve of that. So one day when the father-in-law was gone, Jacob told his family, All right, everybody pack up your stuff, we're out of here. And so they quickly left, but were pursued by the Father. Right, let's stop at this point. Let's do a little heart check. What we see going on here is this, that sometimes we wrestle with God, wrestle against God. Sometimes we don't like His will for things, and we want things to be done our way instead. Whether it is we just don't understand what he's doing or just don't like it, we sometimes find ourselves opposed to God's will. That was clear here, where God had stated very clearly what they were to do and, and how they were to trust him, but they would take matters into their own hands. As I said, they substituted scheming for believing, and that just ended up having a lot of struggles. If you ever find yourself wrestling with God over his will and what you want, it's best probably to remember what he says. Would you read these words that are in dark print with me, please? God, who according to his plan, works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God works out everything in his will. Just keep your faith focused on what his will is and let him handle the details. But sometimes we struggle with that too. Sometimes we don't like what he's doing or question his working, maybe even saying, 
I don't think he is doing anything. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked around and thought, why isn't God doing something about this? Or if he is doing something, you know, again, we don't like what he's doing. But in reality, God is always working everything in conformity with his will. Maybe we don't see it. Maybe God isn't doing it right at that time. Maybe he's waiting to do it later. Or maybe God is just working behind the scenes and we don't see what's being done. Or maybe God is working in somebody else's arena and blessing them and wants you to just watch. Of course, then there's always those times when we miss God's working and we take credit for it ourselves. See what I did? When you find yourself wrestling with God's working, remember what he says about this. Let's read it together. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. If I were translating that, I'd simply put it, sometimes we just don't get it. But God always has it figured out. We just need to trust that. But then sometimes we struggle, too, with what he's promised. And we expect to see that carried out in a different way. We expect God's plan and working to be fitting my view of things. Uh, Jacob and his family were certainly like that. God promised that he would be prospered, and he was, and, and that he would go back to Canaan and get that land. But right now, as things progress, Jacob's kind of concerned that when he goes back, his brother's still going to be mad at him. So he decides that he's got to take this large group of people and flocks and herds and, and divide it up and split them in two different locations so that if one is attacked, at least the other one will survive. The Lord tells us that there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan of man that can succeed against the Lord. So we are advised to do this. Let's read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will direct your paths. But even when we see God working and we see the path, we still might struggle with the whys. That is, why is God doing this? Sometimes we may not understand or accept his reasons, because we want things to go our way instead. You see, sometimes we think we know it all, or sometimes we think maybe even we're smarter than God. But God's ways are always shaped by his wisdom. And as we just read, his ways go beyond our understanding. So what it calls for then is simply to trust what he promises. Let's read this. God works all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So if you ever find yourself struggling with what God is doing or what he wants, submit to him in faith. Let's see what Jacob does now. As he's looking ahead and ready to face his future, He's thinking that maybe Esau, after 20 years, is still mad at him. 
And so he's making plans to try to correct or protect, rather, his family. And on the journey, this happens. God is there. It says, Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. You see, when we begin to falter in our trust, God is right there to pick us up and to remind us of his presence and his promises. And here's what Jacob did next. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob is still wrestling with God, but this time not against God. He is wrestling with God by clinging to him in prayer. You heard what he said. I'm not worthy for any of these blessings. He admits his failures, his weaknesses, but he relies on the faithfulness of God. He clings to that and in prayer claims those promises that God had made as being his. Now, perhaps it sounds like he's ready to move forward, but the scriptures also tell us that he was still fear, filled with a lot of fear. And here's what happened. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. All right, so get the picture. He gets rid of all the people and all the possessions he had. He is alone. And then he's wrestling with someone that night. It goes on. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man was saying, The wrestling is over. It's a new day. But Jacob said, I want the blessing. The man asked him, what's your name? Now this man is the Lord. And he knows Jacob's name. So the question is really for Jacob to think about it. You see, Jacob meant deceiver. And so he says, what's your name? Jacob, deceiver. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, 
but Israel. Because you have wrestled with, struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. That's where the name Israel comes. And it means wrestle or struggle with God. Now he was being taught to cling to God in faith. How wonderful it was that God came to him to allow him to wrestle and to hold on to him in faith and make that demand to be blessed before it was over. Jacob confessed his unworthiness and his inability, but now God was expressing his faithfulness to Jacob, and it would bring change. So when you find yourself wrestling against God, try wrestling with God in prayer and in faith, simply clinging to the promises and his presence in your life. And then look what will happen. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he, the Lord, replied, why do you ask my name? In other words, you already know. And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, which means the face of God, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. When you wrestle with God, not against God, then you will find that you will win with God. But not because of what you have done, rather because of what he has done. First of all, that commitment that he has made to us a commitment that he's expressed with his words. Those same promises that he gave Jacob, I will be with you and bless you, are the promises he gives us. He said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be the shepherd who provides and guides for you throughout your life. We have those promises too. And we see how God brings that about through his working. God worked through all those events to bless them and through them to bless us. God worked in a humble way to condescend, to come to listen to Jacob as he comes to us and listens to us in prayer. This week you notice that canopy that had been up here for six weeks is gone because progress is finally being made here for a ramp to be put in here. A ramp so that those who have disabilities will have easy access to the altar of God. God has provided a ramp for us, easy access for us also in Jesus, who has opened the way for us to come to him. And then God comes to us in communion to assure us with the body and blood of Jesus that the way is opened and we are blessed. Remember those words that we heard in our gospel reading today? As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And that word resolutely in the original language is he set his face like flint, as hard as rock. 
He was hard determined to carry out the plan of salvation for us. The writer to the Hebrews says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And because he did this, you and I have access to God. So we get the encouragement to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find his grace to help us in time of need. We will win because of God's commitment to us. And you can look at your life and see God working and the changes he has brought. He gave to Jacob a new heart. Jacob saw God face to face. It was a new day. He had faith, a renewed faith in the promises of God. And so God, too, renews our faith in his promises. To Jacob, he gave a new name. No longer deceiver, but one who wrestles with God. And that would define him and his people. And you and me, through faith in Jesus, as people who wrestle and win with God. And he gave him a new life, a new walk. Yeah, now he walked with a limp. But he was stronger. Like the Apostle Paul says, I find that in my weakness, when I trust in the grace of God, I am strong. So we can let our weaknesses remind us of the real strength and source for it, our Lord. So let's go back to that idea of commitment, that matter of the heart. It means bringing two things together. Do you see how God did that? He brought us to him. He came to us. He has made a long-term dedication to bless us and give us eternal life. So whatever our circumstances might be, Remember, God is faithful to you. He is there as your refuge and strength. Then strengthened by him, you can make your commitment to go to God and be faithful to him. And like Joseph, pray, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he will. That's a matter of the heart. Amen.